Well, as you've heard and you may remember from last Sunday or if you're on social media, we've tried to get the word out. This morning, we will again turn to the book of Psalms and begin what has become a summer tradition for us as a church, and that is to make our way through a selection of psalms during the summer. Now, in in the previous two summers combined, we've made our way through about 24 psalms, and this year we're going to make our way through 13 more. And before before we finish, uh, we're going to cover all of the the different categories of psalms. And in the summer, what we're aiming to do is get a good sense of the psalms and all the different types of psalms that we find in the scriptures. And then in September, we will once again return to the book of Luke. And so I invite you to turn in your Bible to this morning's psalm, which is Psalm 4. And as you turn there, uh, I'd like to, to say a few introductory things about the psalms. The Psalms are songs that were written for corporate and individual worship. So when God's people gathered together, they would sing these. And and these were the the songs that people grew up learning and would sing. I I find my children, my four boys, singing songs all the time. And and I love hearing them sing these truths that they may not even yet believe. And so just picture little Israelite children growing up, hearing these songs and singing them in the fields. These, These were the songs of their childhood and they grew into them as they trusted in the Lord. Uh, This this book was Israel's hymnal, their songbook. Just as we have songs that capture various truths about God and our various experiences as the people of God, the Psalms do the same. And so we find Psalms that cover all different types and categories of emotions and experiences and and proclaim great truths about God. Throughout the centuries, Christians have also sung the Psalms in corporate worship and used them as responsive readings. The Christian who reads the Psalms will find that they are filled with a a deep passion for God. If you have the Spirit of God in you and you read the Psalms, you will be brought to glorious places. You will be given language that that fits with your own experience as they reveal what authentic Christianity looks like and and feels like. And like all of Scripture, the Psalms in in a unique way reveal what authentic Christianity will look like. And and not only that, these songs point us to Jesus Christ. They, they at times will, will cause us longing for Christ, just like the, the old covenant people of God, and, and think about, they will cause us to think about what, what they looked forward to, which, which we now see and behold, the, 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 the gospel. And one of the great blessings of this series for me personally is that every year as we make our way through more psalms, my appreciation for the psalms increases. As I read through and I study, I I turn to them more and more personally in my own devotions and and prayers. And I hope the same is true for you, that the Lord uses our, our summer together in the psalms to increase your appreciation for the psalms. And you find yourself turning to them more and more as a Christian. And with this brief introduction, would you now please stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's holy word, Psalm chapter 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? 
Lift up the light of your face upon us. O Lord, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is God's word for God's people. May we hear it, believe it, and obey it. You may be seated. Let's pray. Oh God, who we have come to worship, you are our provider. You are our protector. And yes, as David says in this psalm, you are our joy. Even in our times of distress, you are our joy. Lord, I I pray this, this morning we would take heart as we continue to navigate through things personally, corporately as a church and and as people of of this country. Fix our eyes on you this morning, for it is when we take our gaze off of you that trouble occurs. You have redeemed us. By your grace and for your glory, you have chosen to set your love upon us. You are using us and you will use us to accomplish your will in this world. Help us to take heart from this psalm this morning. Many of us are in various levels of distress. Reading this psalm, our our heart resonates with the psalmist. We find ourselves possibly being attacked, experiencing hardship and suffering, being called names, lied about. We see people demeaning and rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only hope for sinners. And some of us are so upset. People are setting aside the gospel, the only hope for reconciliation, and clinging to worldly things, thinking that that worldly things and, and, and lies can save them, putting their hope in the things of this world. And we know the truth. Only Jesus saves. Only Jesus can reconcile us to you and to one another. People are living in fear. Christians are gripped by fear. And this psalm, Lord, has hope and direction, a path for us to walk out of fear and into faith. And so I pray that this morning you would bless the preaching of your word, that you would be made much of, that your people, especially those who are in distress, would take heart from this psalm. Lord, we know that that some among us are are going through great hardships, facing health battles, in the hospital, getting treatment for cancer, receiving dialysis, continuing to experience great loss and grief. And I do believe that this psalm and the truths that are in it are sweet, especially sweet for those experiencing these things. We need wisdom, Lord. We, We need you to guide us. Help us to not go towards man's wisdom to lies and and deceitful ideas that will take us away from you. Tune our hearts together, even where there is differences of opinion and preferences, tune our hearts together to to sing your praise and to delight in you, our God, this morning. May our joy be in you and increasing in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What can you do if you cannot get to sleep because of anxiety. 
or one article that I came across, encourage those who can't sleep because of anxiety to exercise more throughout the day. And so maybe you're one who's prone towards anxiety. And, and this article says, well, get some more exercise in. Uh, go for walks. Exercise throughout the day. Uh, it also suggests that, that you can take 30 minutes before bed to relax and wind down. Maybe light some candles, put on some smooth jazz, some elevator music, and just, and just empty your mind of, of all that is difficult and stressful. It also encourages those who are struggling with anxiety to avoid doing or thinking about stressful things at night. And so if you're anxious and, and you can't fall asleep, according to the article I read, you should go for more walks, if you're able, do some push-ups and some sit-ups, light some candles, and, and do not pay your bills or even think about your bills before you go to bed. Now, I do think that there's some practical wisdom in these suggestions, and it's possible that doing these types of things may help you fall asleep if, if you struggle with some level of anxiety. But what can a believer that is under major distress do? I do not think you can light enough candles. I, I don't think you can do enough push-ups. Now, that's going to make your arms bigger, but I don't think that that's going to settle your heart if you're struggling with deep and real anxiety. How can our hearts as believers be moved from being overwhelmed by anxiety to trusting in the Lord so that we can get some sleep? This is the backdrop and the inspiration of Psalm 4. The great Israelite king, King David, credited with being the, the human author that the Holy Spirit used to write about half of the Psalms, was facing major opposition from influential and powerful people within his own kingdom. In verse 2, David describes these men as those who have turned his honor into shame. He's the king of Israel, great King David, the one who by God's power slew Goliath. And yet these men are turning his honor into shame. He describes them as men who love vain words and seek after lies. These aren't, these aren't uh, weak and, and, and people who have, of, of little influence. These are influential men. And, and they, were, they were not only held in high positions and had high positions, but they seemed to have a very high view of themselves. And yet they were liars who loved to hear more lies. They, they love to cause drama. You know, think about the popularity of, of soap operas and, and these reality TV shows. That they're, they're all just about drama. These, these men of high honor would have loved that. They would have been the producers of these types of shows that are so popular. People, some people just love to cause drama. These men of influence love to cause drama. And they were causing major heartache for David and those who were loyal to David. David was being attacked by wicked and powerful people who were plotting against him, seeking to destroy his reputation, undermine his authority in his own kingdom. And they were out to get him, and he knew it. And that made it difficult for David and those who were loyal to David to rest, to, to, to get to sleep. Now, we don't know for, for sure which exact event inspired David to write Psalm 4, but, but many scholars believe that Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 go together, that they're a unit, that, that were, they were written by David in response to, to the same event. And that event is given in the prescript to Psalm 3, which states, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And so if this is the case, it was one of the most difficult times in King David's life. 
It was right up there, and, and I think if you read through the, the, the account, it, it even surpassed the time when he was pursued by King Saul, who was trying to kill him. It's even a more difficult time than when he sinned with Bathsheba and was disciplined by the Lord. It was a season of his life marked by extreme sadness, insecurity, heartache, and loss because his own son, Absalom, betrayed him. And so did many high-ranking military officials and others with influence. David was in deep distress. His own son wanted him dead and was plotting to kill him. Many others with power were out to destroy him. And yet whatever the situation was, it, it seems that David wrote Psalm 3 to, to help settle his heart in the morning after he woke up. And then he wrote Psalm 4 to, to help settle his heart in the evening before he went to sleep. And so if this is a unit, he would sing Psalm 3 in the morning and then he would sing Psalm 4 at night before bed. In this way, Psalm 4 is something like a, a bedtime song for the believer who has an anxious and distressed heart. A heavenly lullaby for all who by faith trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we may never face the same type of distress that David faced in this psalm. But if we live long enough and we follow Christ, there will be anxious and distressing times for us. Times when, when we may find it especially difficult for us to get some sleep, to rest in the Lord. You only have to look at the world today. What's going on in this country, not just with COVID-19 and, and the, the response or, or the issues related to racism, but the hatred for and the rejection of the God of the Bible and the opposition that we see to the gospel of Jesus Christ and his church in this country. Now, I do believe it's so much worse in other countries that we still have it good. We have it easy as American Christians, but we're starting to feel it more when people reject Jesus, they will hate people for the most ridiculous reasons. They will be racist. That's what comes out of a depraved heart that is not regenerated. When people reject God, they will be wicked and evil. And so we're seeing that. It's coming out more and more in our country. It's been there for a long time since the start of this country because there have been wicked and depraved haters of God since the beginning, since the fall. And so we will, if we meditate on these things, we don't want to, but if we listen to the news, if we talk to people, these distressing and difficult matters will come to mind. And yet in Psalm 4, we find much wisdom and truth to help settle our hearts so that we can arrive where David arrived at the end of the psalm in verse 8. He says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You see, the conflict hadn't gone away at that time. It wasn't all roses for David when he wrote that. He was in the midst of turmoil, of distress, of heartache. His son was still pursuing him. And yet he can say that. And so can we. As we navigate through these times, individually, as a church, and as a nation. No amount of, of walking or, or push-ups or candles or avoiding doing or thinking about your bills will get you to this place that David arrives at the end of the psalm. You must look to the Lord, Christian. You must trust in Christ, and you must remember the truth that David proclaims in this passage. And, and he's going to help us get there as we make our way through it. David begins by calling out to God for help. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. 
This is what we are to do, church, when we are in distress. It's so simple, isn't it? It's so fundamental and so obvious, so basic. But, but when we are overwhelmed, when we are in distress and anxiety has taken hold of our hearts, it is the simple, it is the fundamental, it is the obvious that we so often forget. Now, I've counseled Christians who are in the midst of very difficult situations, whether it be at work, with their family, facing the possibility of divorce, cancer, or struggling with some secret sin. These were people who were in serious distress. And some of them, when asked if they've called out to God, if they've done what David does in the psalm, have said, not yet. Not yet. I mean, they, they're meeting with me, and so I, I think they're wanting to call out to God, or they're interested in possibly calling out to God. But, but sometimes these people have talked with their boss They've spoken with their spouse and their children. They've met with their lawyer or their doctor. And yet they haven't cried out to God for help. Christian, Christian, what should you do when you can't sleep? When your heart is rightly in distress. Or when anxiousness has a tight grip over your heart. You do what David does here. You go to the Lord. You call out to him for help. So basic, so fundamental, and yet sometimes we forget. Call out to God. It starts there. Call out to God. As the Apostle Paul exhorts us in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what does Paul say will be the result of this? What will happen when we call out to God for help, when we let our requests be made known to God? Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what we see David doing in this psalm. He's making his requests known to God. And so this is where you and I must start as well. God is not to be his people's last resort, but their first and their final option. Again, you might say, I know that. Of course, we begin with God. Do you? Do you practically do this? When you're facing conflict, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your church, whether it's in this country, and you're struggling, are you calling out to God? Last week, I reminded you that this season is a season of opportunity when it comes to the gospel for us, church. People are listening. It's crazy. I'm talking with neighbors. I'm, I'm talking with people at baseball games where my kids are playing. And, and they're wanting to talk about God. Why? Because their heart is in turmoil and their, their heart is looking for a place to rest. And you, Christian, know the gospel. Your heart is resting in Jesus Christ. And so don't, don't let your heart go to where the unbeliever's heart will go and settle anxiety and distress and, and anger and hopelessness. There's opportunity for us to do great gospel ministry. Now, this is not to say that it is always going to be easy. If what's happened or is happening is especially difficult, it may be very hard for us to call out to God. After all, it can be hard to yell for help if a person is struggling to swim. But brothers and sisters, the longer we delay in our distress, the more we sink into a sea of anxiousness before we call out to God for help, the more difficult it will be to open our mouths. We have to learn right away. I'm feeling anxiety. 
I, I don't know where to go. I call out to God. We, we learn this habit. I, I remember a while back, and so much has happened uh, since this, but, but we don't need your prayers. We need action. No, you need our prayers. That became a rallying cry. Enough about prayer. No, of course we need to respond to the word of God and what God calls us to do. But we start in a humble position as Christians. We start with praying, asking for God to help us. Yes, to make right decisions, but for God to move. And remember, we must remember God's grace to us in the past because it will help us believe that God has grace for us in the future. This is also what David does in the second half of verse 1 where we read, You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. You see, God had previously given David relief when he was in distress. This is past tense. David says, you've given me relief in my distress before. And David was seeking again relief from God. Charles Spurgeon describes this as pleading past mercies as a ground for present favor. Pleading past mercies as a ground for present favor. David did not appeal to God on the basis of his own righteousness or his own works. He didn't say, hey, I'm the king of Israel, your chosen covenant people, so you owe me, God. You must answer this prayer. That's not what David does here. David wanted God's tender compassion towards those who were unjustly attacked, not according to what he deserved, but on the basis of God's grace, God's unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. Christian, because of God's grace, God is your righteousness. If you have repented of your sins and you're trusting in the life, sin atoning death and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, by God's grace, through faith, Christ is your righteousness. The righteous one died for us who were unrighteous to make us righteous before God. That is good news. The righteous one died for us. We were unrighteous. He is and he was righteous and he died for us. If he has forgiven your sins, if he has declared you righteous on the basis of Christ's righteousness, if he has adopted you as one of his children, if he is making you more like his son, sanctifying you, and if he has promised you everlasting life in glory, and you believe that, will God not also care for your heart and carry you through this distress? Look at all the grace he has shown you, Christian, over the course of your life. Even the grace that he showed you before you were in Christ, providentially leading you, bringing you into Christ. Contemplate that. When you are in distress, this is so, so important. Look back over the course of your own life and the grace upon grace, the favor upon favor that God has shown you. That will fuel your heart to believe that God has grace for you in that distress and he has grace for you in the future distress. Do you see that? Look at all the grace and the mercy and the love that God has shown you in the past. Will he not carry you through this distress? He will. He's done it in the past and he will do it in the future. Don't hear this wrong. This is not some version, some light version of the prosperity gospel. I do not believe that, that it's always gonna be easy. If Jesus doesn't come back, we, we will die. 
And, and some will die in a very painful and difficult way, whether it's through cancer or persecution or suffering. Not all of us will go to sleep and wake up in glory. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the God of your righteousness, the God who is your righteousness, will give you the grace you need to carry you through it. He's done it in the past. Think of the difficult situations that you faced and how he's brought you through it then. And he will do it in the future. Well, the psalm continues in verses 2 through 5 with David considering the source of his distress. He looks at his enemies and, and he calls them out, those who are opposing him, for their wicked attacks against him. Let's look at those verses again. 2 through 5. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? This is a psalm to be sung to God. He's not sitting down and he's like, hey, hey, all of you who are attacking me, I wrote you a little ditty, all right? And I want to perform it to you. And, and this shares my heart. And, and, and so please listen, this is to God. And, and as the king who represents God's people, this is to God's people. And yet he addresses those who are opposing him. Oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. David's confidence is in the Lord. He was the anointed king of Israel, but he was far from being a perfect man. He's not being prideful here. He's not boasting in who he is. I previously mentioned his sin with Bathsheba, but there are so many cases in Scripture where you read about David and you're like, wow, he, he was a sinner. King David was, like all of us, a sinner in need of a Savior. And Christian, like you, David was saved by grace, ultimately through faith in Christ. We're all saved by grace through faith. Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. David knows who he is. The Lord has set him apart for himself. He is godly by grace. And so the Lord hears David when he calls for the Lord's help. David knows that these men who are causing him distress, who are making it difficult for him and those who, who are loyal to him, making it difficult for them to rest, will one day receive their just due. They have slandered and spread lies about one of God's elect. God had chosen David, not only as king, but as one of his redeemed, one who Christ died for. God had set his steadfast love on him. And, and so there's a warning here. Those who were seeking to destroy David were, were not just messing with the king of Israel. They were messing with God. A day of reckoning would come if they did not stop lying, ponder their sin, turn from it, that is, repent, and put their trust in the Lord, then God's judgment, his full wrath, would be poured out on them. Now, sometimes people who hear talk of God's wrath, especially today when love is confused and, and uh, misdefined, well, well they, they hear of God's wrath and, and they think, well, that doesn't sound very loving and just for God to pour out his wrath on people. And so often, what do they do? They think of these, these innocent people that have never heard the gospel or, or their, their grandma who uh, rejected Christ but was so sweet and always gave them candy when they were little. 
And they, they, they say that that doesn't sound very loving and just, but these same people would rightly desire for someone who had tormented or lied about or harmed their child or their spouse or their friend to receive, to receive a just consequence, wouldn't they? They wouldn't say, yes, it's fine that you're bullying my son. Call him names. That's, that's totally fine. I'm going to love you and, and not address that. I'm okay with you attacking my wife, lying about my friend, gossiping about them. That, that's fine. You know, I'm a loving man. Bully my son. Attack my wife. Lie about my friend. I'm loving and just, so I'll just forget about it. That's ridiculous. What would they say? You, you mess with my son, you mess with me, right? That's what, a, that's what a loving dad does. You think he's got big ears? I have big ears, they come from me. You got a problem with that? Big nose too, right? Come on. You attack my wife, I will die for her before you, you put your finger on her again. You don't say that about my friend, that's not true. And think about the love that God has for his people. A love that would produce in him, as triune God, this desire to save us and still be just. And so the Father sends the Son. And the Son willingly comes and bear the, bears the wrath that we deserve. He goes to the cross and he, and, he, and he takes the abuse and the scorn and is called names, ridiculed and rejected, and bears the wrath that we deserve the holy wrath. And God raises it from the dead by the power of his spirit and then puts his spirit in us. Is God going to allow people to mess with his people after that? No. God will not let those who attack and torment his children get away with it. God is the God of justice. Either those who sin will pay for their sins eternally. They're, they're often going to pay for them in this life. There are consequences. People go to jail for, for good reason, they, they, they are to, to, to bear a consequence on earth, but if they do not repent, they will bear a consequence eternally. Or Christ has paid for them their sins at the cross. In verses 4 and 5, David is either calling for those who have harmed him to truly repent, or he's encouraging himself and those who have continued to stand with him to not sin. When you are being attacked, Christian, don't forget the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when you call out to him. Now, David may not have been able to say these things directly to those who were out to hurt him. But in this psalm, he makes the truth known to himself, to others, and to God. And, and this was not his truth. I struggle with that language. Let me share my truth with you. Well, if your truth is not the truth, I don't want to hear it. This was not merely David's truth. This was not somebody else's truth. This was God's truth. These men had sinned, and it wasn't subjective. It wasn't like David said, you know what? I feel like, here's my truth for you. You've hurt me. No, they had sinned. That was the truth. They were causing David, God's king, and therefore God's people harm. These men were in the wrong. How good and helpful it is when we are anxious to consider what or who it is that is causing us distress. And the consequence of those who are causing this distress, if it is sin. It comforts us to know that, that the Lord sees what it, what's going on, even as we go through that hardship. That he cares for us, his children. We are, again, living in a time when the one who yells the loudest seems to win. 
The loudest voice wins. That's, that's, that's not wise. There are times in, in my house when my boys, they, they drowned out. They, they are the loudest. And, and just because they're loud doesn't mean that they should get the ice cream that they're throwing a tantrum about. Or that they shouldn't have a consequence for the sin that they've just committed. They're not right because they're loud. And that's so often what we see in the world today. People are just yelling and yelling and yelling. Passion doesn't even mean that it's, it's right. People are passionate about things that are wrong. I was passionate about sin before the Lord rescued me and changed my heart. Passionate. And I was wrong, dead wrong, and I was headed to hell. When people who deny God, the gospel, and hate Christ church are doing great harm, they're not right. They're wrong. And in the end, unless those who do these things repent, they will not escape God's justice. Church, this truth helps settle David's heart, and it can help settle our hearts as well. God is a God of justice. And that doesn't mean that everything's going to be sweet in this life. It means that a reckoning is coming to those who do not repent, turn from their sin, and trust in Christ. And, and that should encourage you. God sees what's going on. He knows your heart and the heart of those that are attacking you. And the reality is sometimes we're wrong. We're not always the good guy. Sometimes we're, we're the bad guy. We're the bad lady. And we need to repent. And God sees it. He knows what's going on. And this brings us to the final three verses of Psalm 4. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. When in distress or facing opposition, some believers will begin to wonder if the Lord is really near, if he still cares for them. We're in pain, we're suffering. Maybe we're facing the attacks of a family member, a friend. We're starting to feel, feel the, these chants of people saying, we don't need Christ. The church is a burden on society, not a blessing. People call us names. And then we wonder, but God, are you near? Do you see the pain, the heartache that I'm in? But King David knows that the Lord is with his people, even in their sufferings. And so he prays for the Lord to bless the people. That's what lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord, is. It's a prayer for God to bless his people. That, that's what lift up the light of your face is. Show your face upon us again. Smile upon us again. This same prayer is part of the benediction that I often close our services with. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Christian, even in the most difficult season of life and on your worst days, because you belong to Christ. You are blessed. God's smile is upon you. Sometimes you will receive his discipline because he is your father and he disciplines his children. Sometimes you will face sufferings so that you would be sanctified, so that you would see the, the, the blessing and the joy, the treasure that you have in Christ, and so that you would proclaim the, the, the gospel to others, even in your sufferings. And sometimes... Life will be easy, and it will be sweet. You will experience amazing joys. But in whatever season you are in, God loves you, 
and has blessings and goodness for you. And in verse 7, David proclaims, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. David has been lied about. He's been wrongly attacked. People are plotting against him. And he says, God, you have put more joy in my heart than all the joy in the hearts of those who oppose me. They might have a, a barn full of grain and, and all, all this wine. And yet I have joy in my heart that exceeds their joy. I love that. I love that. This is the truth, Christian. The joy that you have because of the Lord far exceeds the joy of this world. And you need to believe that, especially when you don't have a smile on your face and you're in distress. When you see people outside of, of Christ who have a smile on their face, when their, bar, their barn is full of grain, and you know what that means, right? They have worldly blessings, a, a lot of food, security, a lot of wine, when they seem to be living it up and, and, and finding great joy in the things of this world. Your joy, the joy that you have in Christ, far exceeds any amount of joy that they could ever experience in this world. If you are overcome with anxiety, this great truth can help settle your heart. If you are a Christian, God has put joy in your heart. A, a joy that cannot be found in the things of this world. Christian, in Christ, you have everlasting joy. A joy that is not based on your bank account or your circumstances, good or bad. It does not come from having a, a lot of money or stuff, and it is a joy that cannot be taken away from you. Spurgeon says, Christ in the heart is better than corn in the barn or wine in the vat. You need to believe that when you're suffering, when you're being attacked and opposed, when it seems like the world is winning and the kingdom of God is shrinking, because it's not. God is at work. God is being proclaimed. People are turning to Christ. You have joy in your heart. Because, Christian, your joy comes from the Lord. Think about it. If, if your joy is rooted in the things of this world, when things are going good, you will have joy. And when they're not going good, you will not have joy. That, that's the joy of the unbeliever. That, that's the prayer of the unbeliever. Just make this go away so that I can have joy again. That's not the Christian's joy. I have God. You know God and he knows you. The maker of the heavens and the earth. The one who designed it all. He has chosen you, Christian. And even in your distress, your trials, your sufferings, when it seems like everyone is opposed to you, in Christ there is joy. Oh, how absolutely wonderful this truth is. And it is this joy that comes in and from God that sustains and feeds our faith so that we can say with David, even when we are in distress, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Again, Christian, it's not that we deny reality. If you are in distress, if people are lying about you and opposed to you and attacking you, that's your reality. That's what you're experiencing. You're not denying it. But here's the reality. You have God. And you trust in him. And because you trust in him, 
you do not need to live in fear. You can lie down and sleep. It might take some work to get there. In some seasons, you might have to work through these things. You might have have to open up Psalm 4 and say, I call out to you, God, and, and take the same path that David takes to get to this place. The Lord is your safety. Church, we have and we will face trials and hardships, opposition and attacks. Let us not give in to anxiety and fear. In Psalm 4, David has shown us how to fight against anxiety and fear. Let us not give in to complaining and and solely pray, Lord, make this go away so that we, we can enjoy our grain and wine again. Our joy has not been taken away from us. COVID-19 has not taken it away. The issues that we face as a country when it comes to uh, racism and how to press on and move forward, which has been there for a long time and all this is bringing it out more, these are not things to just pray away. These are things in which, and situations and issues and matters of importance for us to say, Our joy is in God. Come, come non-Christian who is is gripped by fear. Come person who is looking for a way to, to be reconciled to other people. Who is wondering how can we have peace and find hope? Where can my heart go? Come and listen. Here is where you can find hope. This is where true and everlasting joy is found. In Jesus Christ, it's in the Lord. And that's what Psalm 4 does. Gives us a path out of anxiety and fear. And that path begins with calling out to God. Do that, Christian. Call out to God. And where does it end? With joy and peace in God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for this psalm. How it is honest, it is true. And it reveals the the real struggle that it can be for us as we face opposition. And we will face it if we're not already. It gives us a, a path to walk so that we do not succumb to anxiety. So that like David, we can rest. We can find peace. We can go to sleep at night. Our joy is in you. And so no matter what we face as individual Christians or as a a church together, no matter what we endure in this country, may we be a people who are not given into fear, but who by faith walk the same path that David walks in this psalm. And so that like him, we can say, God, you have put joy in my heart. This, This hurts This is difficult. I am attacked, but you have put joy in my heart that cannot be taken from me. And so I have peace, and I will rest. I will go to sleep. You are my peace, Lord. You are our peace. And oh, how we pray for our brothers and sisters who are not at this place this morning, who are in the sanctuary, who are watching this live stream, who will gather on the church property and hear this sermon. Lord, for your glory, and again for our joy, move our hearts to this place. Lord, we also pray for the non-Christians in our lives, 
the, the, the people that we live near, the people in our families who we work with, who we will meet at, at various events, whether it's at a baseball game or at the store, who, who we will be speaking with. Help us to be bold and winsome, compassionate, and, and strong with the gospel. These people who are outside of Christ need to know the joy that is found in Christ, and may we give it to them. And we proclaim the, the glories of Christ so that they, like us, have joy in their heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.